0: My, right now, my plan for us is to go back, get back to the Book of John in June. Um, but right now, we're gonna we're gonna take a different direction for a couple weeks. Um, so, my preference is always to have everything mapped out. Um, the Holy Spirit was leading a, a little differently, so I'm not gonna argue with the Holy Spirit, um, and we're gonna spend a couple. Weeks looking at a few command, a few one another commands. There's several in the Bible, um, especially in the New Testament, and you you guys are probably familiar with most of these. Someone uh, on the internet is a handy resource. Always someone um, grouped these into themes. So these ones are unity, be at peace with one another. I'll just read a couple of them. I won't read all of them. Don't grumble among one another. Be of the same mind. And then um, they've been grouped into love, love one another, through love, serve one another, tolerate one another in love. That sounds strange. We're going to look at that one, actually, in a second. Humility, wash one another's feet, give preference to one another, don't be haughty. And then there's some, kind of some miscellaneous ones, bear one another's burdens, speak truth to one another. And you guys can read the rest there. So as we read these, though, we, we quickly realize that These are God's instructions for His church. And and we are the church. It's not a building. God's people are the church. And when we live out these instructions, um, these commands, we are being the church. We are living in a way that God intends His church to live. And so these are very important, and we need to understand that these are not optional. They're actually commands for us, the church. And what what we must understand about God's commands is they're always good. They're not rules for rule's sake. They're not commands designed to remove enjoyment. Um, We often think of rules or commands as restrictive, things that tie us down, sometimes joyless, maybe even things that we should break. (laughs) But when we understand God's commandments really are for our good, then we, we start to understand that his way is the best way. And we start to understand that as our creator, he knows what's best for us. So when we start to understand that, yes, we understand that, that commands and rules have boundaries. But really, they're keeping us from harm. They're keeping us from hurt, and they're keeping us from evil. And I know that evil surrounds us in this, in this world, this sinful world. So we can't be completely shielded from it, but His commands keep us from participating in the evil that surrounds us, and that does make our lives better. For example, let's take one of these commands, like love one another. What if we do the opposite of that? What if we start hating one another? Is that going to be an enjoyable life, or is that going to be a life full of anger and bitterness and even fear? Or maybe it's not as extreme as hate, but we just quietly don't like one another. Um, Maybe there's no violence or anger in that case, but what are we missing out on if we're not participating in these commands? We're missing out on friendship. We're missing out on community, on, on hope. We're missing out on peace. So God's way, his commands for us are not meant to keep us from living life. They're actually meant to point us to life, to true life, life that makes you feel alive as opposed to life that leads to death, which is where sin leads. We're meant to live in community. Human beings are communal. And so these one another commands for the church guide us in how to do community the right way. They're not just protecting us from evil. They're actually guiding us into truth and into right living. So this morning, we're going to look at specifically one of these one another commands, and this one really ties all of the one another commands together, and it's the commandment to love one another. Let me read this. This is from John 13, verse 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So one of the things I do when I'm preparing for a sermon, and I think I've mentioned this before, one of the things I do is that I like to ask a lot of questions. And my first question here is, why did Jesus say a new commandment I give to you? Because this is actually a commandment that is given in the Old Testament as well. So it doesn't really seem new, but if you're familiar with the book of Leviticus, you know that Leviticus is a book of rules. And this is exactly where we find this commandment, this love one another commandment. In Leviticus 19.18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So at first glance, this command looks pretty much the same as the one that Jesus gives. But when we look at it carefully, it's actually very different than what Jesus is saying in John 13. The Leviticus command says to love your neighbor as yourself, whereas Jesus' command is to love one another as I have loved you. So what Jesus is doing when he commands what he says in John 13 is he's actually setting the bar higher than what it is in Leviticus. He's giving us a new standard. Uh, Jesus says, in the way that I love you, in that same way, love one another. And so he's calling his followers to a higher standard, a higher, a higher rule, because his love is not mixed up with sinful motives like ours is. His love is perfect. And the Hebrew word that is used in this Leviticus passage in Leviticus 19 Refers to human love, whereas interestingly, in the book of John, Jesus uses the word, excuse me, Jesus uses the word agape, which means the highest form of love. And, And the kind of love that the Father has for humanity is agape love. One of one description I found of agape love says that agape requires faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice without expecting anything in return. And that's what Jesus is commanding in John 13. Love like me. I love you sacrificially. I love you without selfish motives, without expecting anything back. Love one another that way. And so this clearly is a new command. And Jesus is giving this command to his disciples in the upper room. This is during the Last Supper. Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet. Judas has just run out the door to go and betray Jesus. And he says to the remaining 11 disciples, love one another as I have loved you. And so another question for us to ask here is, if this command was given from Jesus to his disciples, how do we know that it applies to us today and not just the 11 disciples that were there that evening? And if it does apply to us, who are we to love and how are we to love like Jesus loves? So asking, asking questions is, is, is an important way to understand Scripture. When we read our Bibles, I encourage you guys to do it with a notepad beside you, to, to write down questions when they come up and to go back to those questions and ask your friends, talk to Somebody here, ask me even. I can give you guys a list of websites that I trust that you can find answers from. So I think asking questions is just a really important way to study the Bible. Um, So how do we know that this command is for us today and not just for the 11 disciples in the upper room that evening? Another important way to understand the Bible is to compare it with itself. If a passage says something does another passage confirm the same thing? And we can wholeheartedly say yes here. There are several passages that confirm that this command is for everyone that calls themselves a follower of Jesus. But the the passage related to this that I wanna look at is specifically in 1 John chapter four. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we, are, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. John is writing this to the churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and he's encouraging them to love one another, but he's also incredibly blunt here. I love First John because it's just, a, it's just a straightforward book about who we should be as followers of Jesus. And he repeatedly just comes out and says several times throughout this book, if you're not obedient to God or if you're not full of love or if you're not making an effort, you're probably not a follower of Jesus. He just clearly spells it out. And that's what he's doing here. In in verse 8, I'll just highlight verse 8. It says, but anyone who does not love does not know God. And then further down in verse 20 John says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You you can't really get more clear than that. John just kind of smacks us over the side of the head with a bunch of truth. Um, But back to my original question, is Jesus' new command for us today? And the answer is absolutely absolutely. It's for all his followers. John here takes it a step further, and he says, if you aren't loving one another, there's something wrong. And I'm not saying these things or reading these verses today to discourage anyone here, but to encourage you guys to think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to encourage you to press on and to grow in him. So Jesus' new command in John 13 tells us to love one another In the same way that he loves us. Again, that the Greek word agape that Jesus uses points us in that direction because it literally refers to the love that the Father shows to us. In other other words, we are commanded to love like God loves us. And Jesus says that: love like I have loved you. So how does God love us? Well, what is one of the most famous verses in the Bible? John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the scripture is filled with references on how God loves. In John 15.13, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life For one's friends. So there's so much here. God's love is sacrificial. God's love is driven by grace. We don't deserve it. God's love is actually our standard for love. And back to 1 John in chapter 4, it says that God is love. One thing we need to really consider, though, is that the majority of our experiences as human beings or our interactions with love, are with other human beings, right? Initially, we learn what love is by observing and experiencing love with other people, with other human beings, family, friends. And we've all learned what love is from them, and we've learned by loving them back in return. Um, I want to read you guys a, a quote from Paul Tripp. If you haven't read any of his books... I encourage you to, he wrote that devotional that I handed out at Christmas time. And he says, all the human love we've experienced has been flawed in some way, but not God's. His love is perfect and perfectly steadfast forever. Steadfast meaning constant, it doesn't change. And so we've grown up experiencing flawed love because we've all grown up surrounded by other human beings. Um, God has made us in his image, but sin has distorted that image. And, and unfortunately, sin gets in the way. True love doesn't involve things like pride or selfishness, it's not motivated by those things. We're told in 1 Corinthians that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable. Or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrong, wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And this passage in First Corinthians not only describes for us love; it's a description of God Himself. We learn from true love. We sorry. We learn what true love is from true love Himself, God Himself. God is love, and love is not just something that He offers. It's not just something, it's not something outside of him, it is him. And he is the standard for love because he is love. This is sometimes so hard for us to understand when we think about God because we often picture him as father by comparing him to our earthly fathers. We often picture him as king by comparing him to the less than perfect authority figures that we've all had in our lives. And we often understand the love that he offers, he not only offers but embodies, we understand that by the flawed human love that we've all experienced. We need to be very careful not to do that, not to compare or associate God with our human counterparts, because then we end up with an idea of God that is not really who he is. That's why it's so important for us to be in the Word every day, to spend time with Him in prayer, and and yes, to even know Him and trust Him through our experiences as He works in us and as we work out what He's working in us. But what I'm trying to say here is that when we think of God as Father, He is the standard of Father. When we think of Him as King, He is the standard of King. And when we think of him as love, he is the standard of love. He is the epitome of all these things. Epitome meaning the ultimate example. And all of this is just a long-winded way of saying that we truly learn what love is from him because he is the author of love. God is love. So who are we called to love? This one could be a little bit confusing because... um, Sorry, this one could cause a bit of confusion. We've looked at how to love like Jesus loves us. We've looked at, at if this command is for us, and it is. But who is this love to be directed to? Well, doesn't God command us to love everyone? Believe it or not, some of these one another commands are actually only for the church. None of, not, not all of them. Jesus' um, Jesus's love one another in John 13 is, though. It frankly is just for the church. Let me explain this. In Matthew 22, the Sadducees and the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus. And one of the Pharisees asks Jesus a question that he thinks is impossible to answer. Which is the greatest commandment in the law, he asks. And Jesus says in verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is brilliant because the Old Testament law really can be boiled down to commands related to worshiping God and to commands concerning other people. And so we've we've kind of already talked about this. Jesus says here in Matthew, love your neighbor as yourself. And when he says neighbor, the Hebrew word essentially means everyone you come into contact with. In John 13:34, Jesus is talking to his 11 remaining disciples, and he says, "Love one another just as I have loved you." And then in verse 35, The next verse he says by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another so this really is just a command for the church and yes Jesus says in Matthew 22 we are still commanded to love everyone we come into contact with as we love ourselves but when it comes to other believers We are to love them in the same way that Jesus loves us, sacrificially motivated by grace. It's that higher standard that we were talking about. And again, I don't want us to be confused here. This doesn't mean that we don't love unbelievers. We are called to love everyone as we love ourselves. But when it comes to other believers, we are called to a higher standard of love, agape love. I think it would be helpful for us to get our minds around what this is actually saying by by looking at a few one another commands related to love. And Ephesians 4, verse 2 says, tolerate one another in love. That doesn't sound like the best command, to be honest. (laughs) You see, tolerate means that you allow something to happen even though you disagree with it. For example, you may be in a quiet cafe and reading a book and a loud group of people come in and sit next to you and instead of leaving or telling them to be quiet, you tolerate it, right? Maybe you don't like their loudness, but you put up with it. You don't approve of the noise, but you accept the noise. That's kind of what this verse is talking about, but there's a difference. The the ESV actually says, bear with one another in love, not tolerate one another. This is from the NIV. But I like how the the NLT translates this verse. Um, It says, instead of tolerate one another in love or bear with one another in love, it says, make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And that's a lot closer to the Greek that Paul is using in Ephesians. Basically, what Paul is saying here in this letter to the Ephesians is that they need to be gracious to each other because of their love for each other. They, they need to allow each other to make mistakes. If someone messes up, we shouldn't immediately write them off or throw them out. And we tend to do that in the church. If someone makes a big mistake, there often isn't reconciliation either that person is told to leave the church or they're just shunned or ignored. And they leave because of the awkwardness and the embarrassment of the situation. But I really think that if we weren't afraid to share our mistakes with each other, we could move past them a lot quicker. And we're afraid to share our mistakes because of what I just mentioned, the lack of grace. This isn't just mentioned here in Ephesians either. The Bible gives us a process for helping brothers and sisters out of sin. And it isn't to ignore sin. Jesus says in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and confront him privately. If he listens to you, you have won over your brother. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, regard him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So there's a process here. And I think in our sinful inclination, sorry, our sinful inclination is to skip to the end of this process where we just give up on the person. But if we really followed this teaching, there would be a lot less people leaving the church. And I think there would be a lot more room for Moving past our mistakes because we all make mistakes and we all need we all need help moving forward. But it's not just sin that divides us. Diversity is also something that can divide. Diversity of opinion, diversity of tradition. A lot of us are from different church backgrounds and denominations, um, diversity of culture, diversity of careers. Our gathering here is actually a, a very diverse church, maybe even more so than the early church in Acts. And don't get me wrong, I think diversity is a great thing. What I'm saying is though, is that if we're not careful, it has the potential to divide us. Let me read a little bit more of Ephesians 4, starting at the beginning in verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul is calling the Ephesian church, and really this applies to all believers, to be unified despite their diversity. The Ephesian church was diverse in the sense that it consisted of Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles brought their cultures with them into the church, and Jews brought their culture with them. And and I'm sure there was conflict because of it. I know firsthand how two different cultures can cause problems when they live and serve together. As you guys know, my wife is Korean. I am Canadian, and I expect things to be done a certain way. She expects things to be done a certain way. And... Um, sometimes there's a clash of cultures for example sometimes I forget something on my way out the door and I'm the kind of person that ties my shoes so I don't really want to take off my shoes to go back in the house but in Korea wearing your shoes in the house is something that you do not do Um, you have committed a terrible sin if you do not take off your shoes at the door You will cause disunity if you wear your shoes in the house in Korea. That seems small, it seems trivial, but what I'm trying to get at here is that all these little cultural differences, all of this diversity, really does have the potential to cause major problems in the church. And Paul recognizes this, and he calls the Ephesian church first to have an attitude of humility and gentleness, Um, patience, to bear with one another, or to make allowance for each other's faults. And then he says, to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And that's a really important word here, maintain. We don't create unity with each other as believers. God has united us under the headship of Jesus. He's united us as a body, and, and he's united us, and it is part of our calling, as Paul says here in Ephesians, to maintain that unity that he has united us with. But how do we do that? How do we maintain unity with each other? I want us to look at another passage. This is also Paul, but this time he's talking to the Colossian church. And in Colossians 3, he says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Sounds familiar to the Ephesians passage. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And then here's the key part here. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so love is the key. Love one another is the key. The bond which maintains the peace and unity which we already have in Christ is love. So I don't take off my shoes at the door because my wife is angry. I take off my shoes because I love her, right? And she doesn't yell at me when I forget. She makes allowance for my mistakes because she loves me. The reality here is that love takes work. Jesus commands it because it requires effort on our part. And Paul lays out the attitude that we need to have to be able to love one another. It requires humility, it requires gentleness, it requires patience, and it requires grace. These are are all things that we are working out as Christ is working in us. These are the fruits of the Spirit, and the Spirit is planting these seeds in our hearts. Um, but we need to work them out. We need help to exercise these things. we got to exercise these muscles, right? Just like with everything else. And we're growing in these areas. And hopefully, most of all, we're growing in love. I want to I look at one more command that has to do with loving one another. This one is directed to the church in Rome. In Romans 12, Paul says, Be devoted to one another in love. That's the NIV again. The ESV says, "Love one another with brotherly affection." So literally love your church family like you love your real family." And Paul has started this chapter with a very well-known passage in verse one. We all oh whoops. <laughs> we all know this passage. It's, he says, "I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then after um, this passage, he proceeds to explain that we all have different gifts in the church that we need to be using to serve one another, to be a living sacrifice. And then in verse 5, he says, In Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. If we belong to Christ, then we also belong to each other. And I don't think that's easy for us to understand in modern society. We're taught at a young age that independence is the goal. right? We're taught that it's weak to, if you have to rely on others or if you, if you serve others. And success is more admirable if you do it on your own. And we're hit every day with the philosophies of marketing that reinforce this. Think of yourself first. You deserve happiness at any cost. You can only depend on yourself. We're we're bombarded with these ideas every day through social media and through advertising. So how do we shift our focus from ourselves to others? How do we love one another with brotherly affection? How do we devote ourselves to one another in love? Again, context is the key to understanding individual passages or verses in the Bible. And so Paul goes on here to tell the Roman church exactly how to do that. He says in verse 10, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. That's a tough one. I think we often feel like we got to get back at people, right? But, but he says here, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. Do not take revenge. So one important thing to note here is when God commands us to do something, we can start with the Bible to figure out how to do that, how to live it out. What does the scripture say about that commandment is what we should be asking. And, and here it's clearly laid out for us. Another thing for us to remember is that when God commands us to do something, the Holy Spirit will also help us figure out how to live out that command. In John 16, 13, Jesus says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Galatians 5:16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then after this, in Galatians, Paul um, talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which is the result of walking by the Spirit. And then down in verse 25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And I like what another translation says of this same verse. It says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And, and that's, what the, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit leads us. If, if we're listening, though, right? We have to be listening. So to sum all of this up this morning, Jesus commands us to love one another just as he loves us. I didn't mention this before, but this is pretty much the same commandment that Um, Paul gives to husbands in Ephesians 5. He says to love your wives as Christ loves the church. And so how does Jesus love? Let's just look at these really quick, um, kind of sum up what we talked about. He loves us sacrificially. His love is driven by grace, meaning we don't love because we think someone deserves to be loved. We love them despite not deserving it, right? Jesus' love is patient, kind, without envy or boastfulness. There's no ulterior motives. It's not an arrogant love. I love you because I'm better than you. It's not that. It's not rude. I love you so I have the right to treat you badly. It's not that. It's not selfish love. I love you because you can help me. It's not that. And it's not resentful. You hurt me, and I'm going to remember that. No, you hurt me, and I'm going to forgive you and continue to love you. And you may look at this list and think, this seems impossible. I can't do that. I can't live up to that standard of love. And you know what? I would say, you're right. You and I can't do this on our own. And we need to depend on and rely on God, Father, Son, and Spirit, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In first Peter, chapter one, Peter says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And so he is our source, he is our strength, he is love and he he wants to teach us how to love like he does. But we can only do that from learning, by learning from him. Right? So let's go to him in prayer um, now. Let's bow our heads.